Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Thanks for joining me for episode 13 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. Now, even though this is episode 13, this is anything but unlucky because I have two very special guests. In fact, they are Ring of Honor royalty. They are the founding members of the kingdom. She is the first lady of Ring of Honor. I can only be talking about Mike Bennett and Maria Canales Bennett. Mike and Maria, welcome to the show. Thank you. What an introduction. I haven't felt that loved in like five years, I think. That was nice. Five years. Okay, I get that. I get that. Yeah, no, it's I think since I left Ring of Honor, that's that was the last time I felt any kind of love. Come on. The impact was Yeah, great. impact was good. I had some good times there. <laughs> Last three years were all a blur, though. Oh, don't worry. Well, we'll 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 get to that for sure. Um, oh, sweet. <laughs> but as I've done with every episode of this podcast, I always start off by asking, "What have you been up to uh, these past uh, past few months during quarantine?" I guess in your case, probably up to your eyeballs in diapers is probably the the answer, <laughs> right? <laughs> it it's been crazy. Um, if you would have told me that. In 2020, we would be quarantined um, with two babies, one that is two years old and another one that is now five months old. And at the beginning of this quarantine was literally a newborn. Um, I wouldn't have believed you. Uh, It's been wild. We've worked a lot on our house. Um, (laughs) We've been doing the podcast. um, And I reapplied for my master's degree. So it's... it's been crazy because you, there's that saying, if you want something done, ask a busy person. And I honestly believe that's probably when the both of us work the best. Yeah, I don't know how, I've had some friends who are like, how are you dealing or aren't you bored? And I was like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have time to be bored. And I think, I think you told me you have kids, so you know what it's like, but it's like, I do. especially being quarantined, you're around them all the time. So they just expect things from you all the time. And I think I've worked more in the last three or four months just being a dad than I have my entire wrestling career. <laughs> it's just so busy nonstop. Yeah. Well, I remember that. My, see, my kids are a little bit older. My kids are 15 and 11. Okay. Um, you have a two-year-old and your youngest is what, five or six months old? Five months. Five months. So here's a broad question for you. Is, this parenting thing, is it what you expected? Is it different than what you expected? Are you getting any sleep? <laughs> What's going on? So after our firstborn, Freddie, Frederica, um, she was a horrible sleeper and she had a lot of ear infections um, and she spit up a lot. She was very difficult on me. And um, I think I went through the whole postpartum depression with her. Then when we had our son, um, it's weird because I think it's easier with the two of them. Like I find myself falling more and more in love with my daughter as my son gets older and as they start building this relationship. So a lot of people are like, Oh, going from one to two is so difficult. 
for me, going from one to two just felt right. And it was actually easier. Yeah, and it's, I I knew that I would be madly in love with two kids, but I didn't know I would be this in love. Like, <laughs> I, I can't explain the feeling um, that it, it brings you. I remember when we had, um, well, right before we had Freddie, Randy Orton said to me, he's like, you're not going to know what it feels like until you actually have them. And then that wave of love is going to be like something you've never felt before. And I was just kind of like, cause a lot of people say that like, Oh, you'll be madly in love. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know I will be. Um, but then when you have them, I was just like, they're, they're, they become your entire world. Like everything revolves around them. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't mind it but, at all. But I do have to say, like, I didn't, I didn't realize the amount of guilt you would feel like it's almost like there's a rubber band that's attached to them and attached to you. And every time you leave the house, you feel this tension to go back home and protect them and keep them safe. Um, so I, I wasn't expecting that part of parenthood. Yeah. You know what I love? You probably are familiar with that commercial where for the firstborn, the mother is like so overprotective and won't let, you know, she's <laughs> interviewing the babysitter and what are your credentials? And then by the <laughs> She's like handing the baby off to like the mechanic, right? Yes. I, yes. I think that is so true because I know in my experience, when my first, when my daughter, I have two daughters, when my firstborn came, I would like check on her every night. I would go into her room and just listen to make mm -hmm. sure breathing through the night. Yeah. And then, but once the second one came along, it's like, that's, that all stops. Not that I don't love the second one, but it's like, all right, I've done this now. I sort of yeah. get it. You, know, you feel like you're okay. Yeah, yeah, we used to, with Freddie, we, I would go in there every single night and be like, just stare at her chest to see if it went up and down and make yes. sure she was breathing and just like got really close to her. And I'm like, okay. Now with Carver, I mean, I'm just like, he's sleeping? Oh, thank God he's sleeping. Now I'm <laughs> going to go to sleep. Like, it's not, there's none of that. And it's right. It's not that you don't, you love them any less. It's just that you're more experienced as a right. parent, I think. Right. And you're just like, all right. They're okay. I don't have to check on them every 20 minutes. They're, they're going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, here's a question I think um, everyone in the wrestling business who has kids probably thinks about, even though for you guys, it's a long way off because I know your kids are young, but let's say one day down the line, they come to the two of you and say, we want to follow in your footsteps and pursue pro wrestling. How would you feel about it? So my daughter already knows how to throw a pretty good super kick. This so, is true. Throws um, <laughs> a better one than I do. And uh, you know, I, I I practice wrestling moves on her probably because that's the only person I should be practicing wrestling moves on in the middle of a quarantine. Um, but I so my parents always gave me a lot of freedom when it came to what I wanted to do, and I always appreciated that. Um, it, if you support them. If you are there for them, if you tell them, okay, but I still want you to go to college um, and get that degree or get that certification um, just in case, I think that, you know, I don't, I would never tell her not to do something she was passionate about. Yeah, I think I, I would tell, my parents were so supportive of me, so I can't see myself not being supportive because I also think too, if I... Told, told, told them no, they're going to do it anyways. So in my head, I would just say to them, I, I support you, but first let me give you all the information that I've learned over my career. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you the ups and downs of professional wrestling. Let me tell you 
what is the good and what is the not so good, and then make a, a concerted or a, a conscious choice after I give you all the information. Mm -hmm. um, and it's never gonna be, no, it's gonna be here are the facts, you're smart enough, then figure it out and I will support you after that. Um, the wrestling world has been very good to me and very bad to me. So I, um, I, 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 I wouldn't lean one way or the other. Wow. I would just support them. Okay. So Mike, you broke in when you were what, like 17 or 18 years old, right? 16. 16. Okay. 16. So I'm guessing you were probably a big fan growing up. Is that fair to say? This is true. Yes. I was obsessed. Okay. Now, so Maria, we know you got into the business through the WWE Diva Search back in yes. 2004. Were you a fan at all of the business? I was. Um, first wrestling show I saw was actually in Illinois and um, my seats were terrible. And all of a sudden they had to open up more floor seats. And for some reason they decided we were going to be on the floor. So there I was um, on the floor first row in the back so as stone cold steve austin came out and the glass broke there i was and as he was going to the back i got sprayed with beer so um yes i was a fan uh before i entered in the contest okay um mike was your goal always to get to wwe did was that your goal obviously you were a fan you got into the business uh, some people have different goals but was wwe yours in wrestling, yes. Um, was it my first goal? No. It was always my goal. <laughs> it was, that was, I mean, I was diehard WWE fan when I was growing up. I was obsessed with the Attitude Era. So for me, it was always WWE or bust. I will say once, I don't know, second year into Ring of Honor, my, my feelings started to change about pro professional wrestling and what my goals were. But there was always that dream of in the back of your head of like, you know, I think anyone at that time that was getting into the business and was in that era of Ring of Honor or in that era of independence, you're always like, oh, WWE's the end game. Like, that's the biggest game in town. That's, that's just what you wanted to do. Um, but my love for pro wrestling changed. Like, I became so much more in love with pro wrestling when I was at Ring of Honor. So it became more like, I would like to go to WWE, yeah, but... I just want to be a professional wrestler. So, um, but from the very beginning, it was WWE. It's definitely not now, but it was back then. <laughs> well, Mike, I want to talk about um, something that you've opened up about uh, many times. You celebrated a milestone recently, uh, which you posted about on your social media, three years clean from addiction to prescription painkillers. And like, yes. as I said, I know you've talked about it openly in the past. You said you'd be, you're still open to talking about it. For those listening who may not be aware of your story, can you just tell how, I mean, how did the problem start? Uh, how long was it before your family found out about it? And what led to you eventually getting help? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, where and I, I don't think it's as prevalent anymore, but when I was coming up on the independence, uh, prescription drugs, painkillers, it was still a big part of the wrestling scene. Um, might maybe not have been how, uh, as big as it was back in like the eighties and nineties, but you know, early two thousands, it was still, I mean, my trainer, uh, one of my trainers, Steve Bradley passed away because he had a drug addiction and like, um, and that hit me very hard. And, um, but it's, it was still very prevalent. 
And so you just kind of accepted that everyone kind of did something here or there or, or whatever. But for me, it started with, um, with a knee injury. I dislocated my patella tendon in a match and I ended up popping it back into place in the middle of the match and finished the match. Then went to the doctor and he was like, your, your, your knee's okay. You just have to rehab it. Surprisingly, I didn't do any major damage, but they prescribed me, um, I want to say it was, it was Vicodin at the time to handle the pain because I was in an incredible amounts of pain. And that was fine. And I handled that and I dealt with that. Um, but at the same time, I think I was in a very low point in my life. And um, I was taking it for the pain. I was dealing with it. I was probably taking more than I should have because, you know, it made me feel good about myself. And then it slowly started to turn into uh, convincing myself I was in pain so I could take more and try to get more and need more and want more. Um, and then right around that same time frame, we started with, um, with impact. And we had a, a ton of downtime. Um, we were constantly sitting at home because we would film uh, once a month. And so taking prescription drugs while having nothing to do with your time is a very, very bad combination. Um, and not only that, I forgot even to mention that I had fractured uh, a rib too in the middle of all that. And I had to go over to Japan and do... Um, a tour for the world, uh, the world tag league. So that was my way of getting through. And I think I kind of picked up the, the problem during that too. Like, I think it kind and of we accelerated. Got <laughs> we got married. You think that had to do with my drug addiction? <laughs> um, so yeah, so it was just this combination of getting injured, um, trying to stay healthy, trying to still perform and then having a lot of downtime and trying to figure out, what to do with that downtime, which then turned into, oh, well, taking drugs will, you know, help me get through that downtime. And um, it just spiraled. And then eventually it just turned into the fact that I was like, I needed it when I woke up in the morning, I needed it midday, and then I needed it at night. Um, and then it was just constant battle of trying to find it, trying to, because doctors aren't just going to constantly prescribe it to you. So then you start dealing with people and, you know, it, it's just a bad path and it just wasn't a good path for me. Um, but the hardest thing for me was convincing myself I didn't have a problem while in turn trying to hide it from my wife and my family, which was a weird combination because you're like, well, you don't have a problem. Then why are you trying to hide it from your wife and your family? Which makes no sense whatsoever. But that's what I was convincing myself of. And no one knew. My wife didn't know. My, my mom, my dad, my brothers, my, my Taven, my best friend in the whole world didn't know. Um, and it finally hit its breaking point when I think we were like two months on the road with WWE. It's that. Yeah. Not even. And we were down in Florida and we were doing the May Young classic. We were down there for that. And I had run out of, of, of painkillers and I, I was a miserable human being when I didn't have any painkillers. You were miserable anyways. No, just miserable anyways. And, uh, and so um, it just, eventually I remember I made Maria cry because we were supposed to go. So we we're supposed to go to universal and I was just an absolute jerk the whole day about it. And then, um, I saw her cry and then finally I just broke down and it, it just was this, they always say you're never going to get clean until like you decide it's time. 
Um, people can tell you till you're blue in the face, get clean, get help, do all this. But if you're not ready, then you're not ready. And there was something there that clicked at that moment. I was like, I'm ready. And I remember, like I said to her, I was like, I don't want to die. And that was the, the feeling I felt. It was like, if you stay on this path, you are going to die. So I had to, I had to come up with a decision. And I just told her, we were in the parking lot at like a Walgreens or something. And I just, I came unglued and I told her. And then, yeah, thank God for her. <laughs> she saved my life. Absolutely. And so Maria, he was able to hide it from you when you look back. Just do you think like, okay, well, that didn't make sense. But now that I look back, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, for sure. And like you, you start questioning everything. And I remember the day that he told me, um, I was so angry, so mad. But I told him, um, after I had gone for a brief walk, I told him that right now, I'm not going to deal with my emotions. I'm just going to make sure you don't die. Mm. So that's what I did. Um, we, we dealt with it in that way where I, I literally didn't deal with the fact that I felt betrayed or lied to or any of that. Um, I just wanted him healthy. And then we dealt with the marriage side. And lo and behold, two weeks after he told me, we found out I was pregnant. Mm. And um, so it was, it was very, it was a crazy time. Because not only was I um, a watchdog, basically, to make sure he wasn't on his phone, texting anybody, calling anybody. He couldn't use the car. I wasn't going to allow him to use the car because I knew he would drive to find drugs. Um, and I wasn't going to let him into our bank accounts or anything like that. So I had his phone, I had his iPad, I had the keys to the car, the keys to the house. And then on top of it, we were juggling our new jobs at WWE and I was pregnant. So, um, that's you a know, lot. <laughs> it, you know, it, it is. And it's always funny to me when people are like, Oh, WWE took care of your rehab. No, no. The pregnant lady <laughs> she took, care of, took care of his rehab. I was the one that made sure that he was, because they prescribe you things when you're coming off of painkillers. Um, they're prescribed by the doctor to make sure your heart doesn't explode or your heart keeps beating. So I had to make sure he was taking those um, to like nausea medicine, all this stuff. I had to make sure he was taking the proper dosages of that to bring him down. Um, and then I also had to keep his mind occupied because yes, addiction has a physical reaction, but there's a lot of mental, um, damage that, uh, kind of, uh, impacts the way that your body deals with it. So you're, you're having to deal with both. And, um, our way of doing that was we went on a lot of walks, um, and I tried to keep his mind off it as much as possible. So, um, for anybody that wants to know, um, I am the rehab. <laughs> Maria's rehab. That was literally, that's what I, I called did. myself the Gestapo because I didn't let him have anything. I didn't let him have his phone. I didn't let him have, I didn't let him call anybody unless I was the one that dialed the number on my phone. Um, so, you know, it, it and, also has to be a choice though. And I think oh, that's, yeah, for sure. I think that's important to anyone who's listening because yeah. like, anyone who has a wife or a husband who's like, Oh, well, I'll just take their phone and all no. that stuff that can make it worse. Sometimes oh, yeah, that can, sure. that can lead down an even worse path, yeah. but it was, you have to be willing. This was the way we decided to deal with it together. Um, a lot of it was because we didn't want to lose our jobs at WWE. 
Like we, we wanted to work there. Um, we signed there because we wanted to work. And so what we didn't want is, you know, his addiction to impact our livelihoods. So we dealt with it together. And I don't think it was until what, two months that you came out with it publicly? Yeah, either a month and a half or two months. Nobody knew. Nobody no one knew. at WWE knew until I mean, I my family was knew like because they were supporting me and his family knew because they were supporting him. But other than that, nobody knew until he was ready to talk about it. You can actually see, not a lot, I don't think I've ever said this, but um, my very first match on TV for WWE was against Sami Zayn on SmackDown. And if you look, I have a patch mm -hmm. on my arm that is a, um, I, well, it's some sort, it was for my addiction, it's some sort of like calming patch. Mm -hmm. um, it was for your heart. Yeah, I think so. And it's, it, it almost looks like a nicotine patch. Yep. If you go back and find that match, you can see it. And I had to do my best explaining it to people what it was. Mm -hmm. And I was just, con there was a whole bunch of reasonings. I was like, oh, I got a cut or or this and like I just because I didn't want to tell anybody so you can look because it was like two weeks two weeks after I got clean or I, I stopped doing drugs that I had my very first match no it wasn't it was three days was it three days it was three days oh, three days never mind it's all a blur <laughs> so it's all a blur so you finally make the decision though uh to go public why why did you decide that Mike you know it was one of those things where um it was like a mix of a, a bunch of different emotions. One of them was, I thought it would be the best, another good way to hold myself accountable, where if you put it out into public, everybody knows it. And maybe it's not the best decision, but for me, it worked. Um, it's just, you're constantly, uh, people hold you accountable. So if you put it out there and someone sees you out in public and you clearly look like you're effed up, they know they're like, Oh, well, this guy's a liar. And that's going to get out there. And in today's day and age, it's going to spread everywhere. So I wanted to make sure I held myself accountable. And secondly, I almost felt like an, I had this obligation as someone who was in somewhat of a spotlight um, to tell my story, to tell people that we have an opioid crisis in this country and it affects everybody. It doesn't just affect the poor. It doesn't just affect people that had injuries. It doesn't just affect the mentally ill. It, does, it affects everybody. And I wanted people to know that, look, even a, your favorite WWE superstar, or <laughs> it's clearly not me, but even your favorite WWE wrestler or your favorite wrestler, they go through it too. Um, even you know people who look like their lives are in check, they go through it too. Um, and I really wanted to tell that story. And now it's kind of, it's kind of morphed into like this whole motivational thing that I love doing because I love being positive and I love using my real life story. But it started as a way of me just being like, I want people to understand that if you're struggling, come out, tell people it's okay. It's, it, you have nothing to be ashamed of. It's the only way you're, you're going to get help. Absolutely. And I think there's obviously there's you went through a very dark time, obviously, the both of you. But the good news is here we are three, three years later. You've celebrated your milestone of being clean. Maria's still by your side. You've got two beautiful kids. And I'm certain that you've inspired, you know, what's the cliche, even if you inspired one person, then it was worth it. And I'm sure you yeah. many more than that. So um, it's amazing. Like we 
when we went to WrestleMania last year, there were so many people that came up to him and was like, thank you so much for mm -hmm. telling your story. You've saved my life. I'm this many days, weeks, months clean because of you. And like to see people react like that, um, it just inspires you to do more. It, it just makes you feel like, okay, we're, we're all on this journey together and it's tough, but there's other people that are going through it too. And it's at those signings and stuff, more people talk to me about that than they do about wrestling. Yeah. And that means I like, I, I some people come up to me and they're like, I know you want, this isn't wrestling related. I'm like, I don't, I'd rather not talk about wrestling. I talk about, talk about it all the time. I'd rather hear your story. And to me, the three years at WWE career wise was, was a waste of time and a mess, but what I gained out of it, um, I would never trade for the world. I would do it all over again because of my family, my sobriety, everything, the, the way I've connected with fans, I would do it all over again just because of that. Well, that is the perfect segue to head into our first break. Uh, when we come back, we will get into your WWE run uh, we'll be we'll be back with uh, more with Mike and Maria right after this. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Monday, the same day as this podcast, as we catch up on all the groundbreaking ROH news and get some exclusive comments from some of your favorite stars. We also have some really great weekly segments like Question of the Week and my personal favorite, the Week by Week Physique. Join me every Monday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for Week by Week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guests are Mike Bennett and Maria Canales Bennett. So let's get right into this. I know a lot of fans are curious. Let's talk about your WWE run. So it's 2017. You debut in the WWE as Mike and Maria Canales. You take Maria's last name. So just curious, who came up with this particular gimmick and were you guys happy with it, at least in the beginning? I was happy with it in the beginning. I thought it was going to be so much fun and get so much heat. Um, Nigel McGinnis, long time ago, had brought up that idea to us. And no, he did not come up with it in WWE, but... Um, he had brought it up to us before and we thought it would be an amazing way to get some real heat. Um, the way that it ran? No, of course not. But the, the thought of it sounded like a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I think it was, uh, it was, um, the, I don't remember who the head writer of SmackDown was at that time. It might've been Ryan Ward called us. Um, and he had pitched the idea to us. And he was, he sounded like, I remember talking to him on the phone and he sounded very like hesitant because he didn't know how I, we would take it. And I was all for it when I first heard it. I had the same reaction as Maria. I was like, oh, that's mega heat. Like people, for some reason in this country, thinks it's like uh, insane if a man takes a woman's name and like, oh my God, the world's going to end. And I was like, let's play on that. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Let's drive that in, down people's throats. Let's make them crazy because a man took a woman's last name. And I was like, this could go so many wonderful ways. Plus our song. Yeah. Oh, the song. oh, the song was awesome. Yeah. And just the corniness of it. Yep. And just like, I was like, this is heat if we do it the right way. And unfortunately it just, <laughs> it wasn't, if you had told me like, Oh, we'll do this, but we're not going to do it. I would have said, no, absolutely not. This is stupid. But because I was like, 
Because in my head, I was like, oh, this is great. And, and this is WWE. Yeah, this is WWE. So this and the worker in me was just like, oh. And the heel in me was just like, yeah, let's do it. Um, I, I loved the idea at first. And then when I saw that they just had no idea what to do with it, I was like, ah, oh, you guys just destroyed me. Damn it. So, so, so let's get into that. And I'm sure this is a question, obviously, you probably asked yourself many times. But basically, what in your minds do you think happened? Now, well, a couple of things happened. A couple of months after you, you came into WWE, you announced that Maria was pregnant. And then, yep. Mike, for you, things just quickly went downhill. There went your, your, your push, uh, if there was a push at all, I guess you could say. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think happened? So I don't think a lot of people know this, but that gimmick was dead in the water after the Money in the Bank debut. Yeah. We did the debut, and um, regardless of how the crowd reacted, which we got a great reaction when we came out, oh my God. Um, regardless of whatever, that was it. Um, Vince, for whatever reason, didn't see it, and he had pretty much all but dropped it um, from anything because the following um, – uh, not Monday. This is when SmackDown was on Tuesday. Um, we weren't even on the broadcast. We were part of like a WWE.com. We were written into the show and then we got cut. And at that point, me and Maria both went, that's it. We're done. And unfortunately at WWE, that's how it works. If, if you're not constantly on TV, the minute you get cut, and especially for a new gimmick, a debuting gimmick that just debuted two days ago, to not put them on TV immediately after the pay-per-view, we were dead in the water. And then they, they came up with this idea of, of like forcing us to do this thing with Sammy that was kind of like half-assed. No one was really into it. Um, it was really just kind of like, all right, we'll give you this storyline to appease you. Mm -hmm. But it was never really going anywhere. Yeah. They were going to... So I just, I remember getting to the building that Tuesday and them telling us that, oh, well, it's going to be .com. And I went, oh my gosh, that's it. It's done. Because we had came out of Impact with such a good momentum. And we were, oh, it's okay, baby. <laughs> and with, you know, we had done the wedding that had gotten really great reviews and a lot of people were excited about the wedding and you know we we felt really good about everything that was going on in our career and then wwe called and we signed with them and we were told that we were going to be starting right away they rushed us to get our medical done they rushed us to get our paperwork signed. They rushed everything. And I even remember talent relations saying, we've never rushed someone this quickly before. Wow. And um, then we sat. We sat at home from, what was it, April? April to, no, it was uh, March. Was it March? March until June. March until June. We had no contact until June. So like, I already felt like something was fishy um, because if you were that excited about us, why didn't you bring us out at WrestleMania? Like we were already down there. We were ready to go. We had done our paperwork. We had done our medical. Everything was done to be on television. So I was like, okay, 
fine. They didn't want to bring everybody in at the same time because not only did they have us, but they also had the Hardys. Um, and they had Drew and Ethan and um, Spud. So there was a bunch of us. So I was like, all right, maybe they're going to space us out. But then when it took four months, I knew there was an issue. And then after that first night and then nothing on that Tuesday, I knew we were done. I was so mad that night that I wanted, I, I, I wanted everybody to hear how I felt, but I was like, you know what, let's let this play out and see what happens. And it was, it, it just wasn't what we thought it was going to be. Yeah. And then after that uh, storyline was Sammy had ended, they didn't have anything for us. We were constantly showing up to TV and with they were, ideas. with ideas and they were just saying, no, we don't. So we went from debuting and then a month later, uh, not doing anything. Yeah. And so. And everybody wants to lump in the fact that, oh, Mike came out with his addiction and, oh, Maria was pregnant. No, no. Our story was killed we were, before any of that happened. Before any of that came out, we were, we had already been done. Like we had basically been written off TV for a month. And what? so, and then when, then Maria got pregnant and it was literally just like, I didn't exist in that company. I did live events and that was it. And they, they, there wasn't even a mention we might have something for you. It was just like, I was just there taking up space. Well, so let me ask you this. Did you ever get an inkling as to why they seemed to be excited in the beginning and then sort of cool off on it um, so quickly? Did anybody ever have a talk with you about it? And did you guys ever seek a meeting with Vince to say, you know, what's, what's the deal here with us? So the way that company works um, is no one will ever tell you to your face what needs to happen or why things are going south or um, what needs to be fixed. You'll hear it through the grapevine. Mm -hmm. You'll hear little stories here and there. People will say, I heard this from this person. I'll hear that from this person. Um, I've heard numerous things. I've heard Vince was unimpressed when he saw you. Vince didn't like how your body looked. Um, I've heard the gamut of things. I've gone in and I've talked to Vince. None of these have ever come up in meetings or conversations. So again, no one ever says anything to your face. It's always just constantly you hear it. And even if you ask people to their face, no one has the courage or the accountability to tell you this is what is actually going on. And that's what used to drive me nuts. Because when I got clean and sober, my big thing was, I'm going to hold myself accountable for everything that I do. And then in turn, I was working for a company that held themselves to no accountability for anything whatsoever. And it drove me nuts because I would literally go into people and say, look, if you don't want me here, release me. No, we, we think you're good. We have, okay, then use me. We're working on it. We're working. And then nothing would ever come of it because no one ever had the courage to tell me, the boss doesn't see anything. Finally, Paul Heyman told me the boss doesn't see anything in you. And thank God Heyman always tells me the truth. And I was like, thank you. Someone finally told me the truth. The boss doesn't see anything in you. Okay, great. But besides that, and that was back in September before, and that's when, you asked and that's when I asked for my release. So it took me almost three years to finally get a straight answer of why I wasn't doing anything. And it was finally like, cause Vince, and that's fine. It's his company. I don't hold the grudge against him. I don't care. I just always wanted to know 
tell me. you wanted to work. Yeah, I just always wanted to work and no one would tell me these things. And I was like, what am I and, doing and wrong? And a lot of people would be okay with just accepting a paycheck, but you and I aren't like that. Our parents, well, my parents were blue collar. They worked for a living. And I never wanted to be the person that just accepted a paycheck because I could. I wanted to work for my money. And so when I would have these conversations with people, it was because I see how hard people work. I'm not just going to accept a paycheck when, when I could be working, when I could be making a difference. Absolutely. And I think having worked at WWE myself for a few years as a writer, um, I certainly uh, have seen things happen the way you were describing uh, with yourselves. Um, and, and I think it is, it's, it's once Vince loses confidence for whatever reason, and it could be over anything that it's really yeah. hard to ever get that back. Um, I saw, I don't think happen. you can, I almost I think, think it's, a, yeah, I don't think you can. Now yeah. a couple of times you had sort of, um, I guess you could call them resets. You went to two Oh five live. You went to raw. Did you see those as, okay, this is sort of a, you see them as resets and maybe we can still get something going. Or did you know at that point, like, it doesn't matter what show we're on. It's just not going to happen. See, with so with 205, I was actually really excited because I always had a really good relate. Like, I, I like Triple H. I, I thought he was – I get along with him. I respect him. Um, I love what he does with NXT. And he was in charge of 205. And I had many conversations with him about, like, hey, the main roster is not working. Can I go to NXT? And, like, and it was always kind of back and forth. And I get it. That's his baby. And he doesn't want to constantly bring people in. So – but he finally came up with the idea of 205. And I looked at that as like, oh, okay, this is the show that guys wrestle on. And it's more of a wrestling-based show. And it reminded me of being on Ring of Honor and doing New Japan. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And this will prove to Triple H that, okay, maybe we have a guy here that we can fit into NXT. So I looked at 205 as like, I loved every bit about 205. We got 18 to 20-minute matches. We, they're not strict about anything where on Raw or SmackDown, everything's under a microscope and everything has to be said and done verbatim with how it's written. On 205, we got so much creative liberty. I, I absolutely loved it. It was, we had so much freedom to do what we wanted. Um, Adam Pierce was like, he was never in charge. He was always like officially, unofficially in charge of 205. And he took care of us and he made us better. And like, he was always agenting the big matches at 205. And I loved, and I, I knew Adam from Ring of Honor. So I have so much respect for him. And like working with him again was just awesome. So like 205 to me was a great experience. Um, then we went to Raw and I don't know what the hell that was, but um, it was, I didn't think that was a reset. Uh, again, I, I don't know how to explain it. Maybe Maria can explain it to you better because to me it was just, I go back and forth. Part of me is like it was an angle that was used to get shock value. And then there's a big part of me that's like they only did that to embarrass us because they were upset with us. So I really have no idea. So um, for me, the move to Raw, I was really excited about. Um, Paul Heyman and I have worked together for a number of years. And so um, – I thought it was going to be a great angle. I remember when he called me and um, this was 
So we re-signed with WWE in June of last year, right? Yeah. June. And that's when the angle started. So um, we re-signed with them. And at that time, we had had a lot of conversations with WWE because uh, we were going back and forth with whether or not we wanted to sign. Um, we were disappointed in what had gone on so far. Um, there was a lot of promises that were made to us um, that you know, weren't being held up. So, um, you know, we didn't even know if we were going to resign. So then we finally did. And, um, the only reason why I did is because I had a conversation with them and, um, I knew that I wanted to have another child and I didn't know how long that was going to take. I'm sure, you know, with two kids, like you just don't know exactly what that process is going to be. So, I wanted WWE to know, hey, we're going to try and have another child. Um, and if you want to sign me to a part-time deal or paid per appearance or whatever, that's fine. Um, because I knew that, you know, I, hopefully in the future I would be leaving on maternity leave. And WWE came back and they were like, no, we want to bring you in as a full-time talent again. And we understand that you want to have a, want to, have a bigger family and have another child. Um, so we're, we're totally cool with that. So when they came back with it, I was like, all right, great. We're, we're golden. We're, you know, we're going to keep building our family and we're going to make more money. And, um, WWE understands. <laughs> so then when they called me about the angle, um, when they called us about the angle, uh, I had to tell Paul like, Hey, it's really early stages, um, but I'm pregnant. And we had just found out that week. So like, it was, it was terrifying because at the time, I think I was only eight weeks pregnant and you'll know this, you don't usually tell people until 12 weeks. Right. So there I was, uh, telling my friend Haven, like, Hey, um, I'm pregnant. So I, I can't have this tag match with Becky and with <laughs> Seth like it's we're gonna have to fudge it like there's there's no way I can do this and um Paul was really cool about it. he's like hey can I call you back let me tell the boss so that's what happened he let us go he called the boss and he came back and he's like all right we're still gonna do this but we're gonna have you announce and I was terrified because most miscarriages happen before 10 weeks. And I, I was scared to death coming out with the information that I was pregnant at nine weeks. And um, I, I didn't know if, you know, if, if I was still going to be pregnant um, to full term or, you know, if, if I, if I would have lost the baby, thank God I didn't. We have a beautiful son, but like, going to raw was great but at the same time for me it was terrifying so let's go back let's fast forward actually now to this past april right the pandemic okay. is in full swing as a result of that wwe releases a bunch of talent and unfortunately two of those people released are you and mike um well, I'll just ask, did you have any sense that that was coming and that if there was going to be a purge of talent that you were going to be on it? And just what are your thoughts at that time? I mean, again, it's a pandemic. You're pregnant. 
now you've lost your jobs. I, I can't even yeah. imagine what it's like. I mean, I, so I'll give my side and then I'll take Carver so that Mike can give his side of it. But at the time, Carver was two months old. And um, WWE, even though they, you know, they finished our angle on Raw before we had expected to, I had planned and we had had this conversation with WWE and WWE's doctors were all on board. And I have the text messages back and forth with them. I was going to work until 26 weeks at least. Um, and then after that, I was going to have to get another doctor's note. So I, I, I knew that WWE had ended the angle early. Um, but I thought they would continue on with my contract to have me come back and, um, you know, complete my contract with them. I, I didn't have any inkling that they would have released me because I didn't ask for my release. Um, my big concern I had already talked with them about was having another child. And I had had that child and I was all ready to come back at WrestleMania. Um, and I had been getting back in shape. I had already lost 35 pounds. Like I was ready to come back at WrestleMania. And, uh, so when they started calling around, I thought that they were going to fire Mike because Mike had asked for his release. I didn't think they were going to fire the both of us. Yeah. I was on my way back from my two month appointment with Carver at the doctor when I got the call from Mark Carano and I was fine on the phone, but at the same time, like I realized that we were going to be in a world of hurt. Um, and they knew that. Um, and it's just really hard for me to talk about because like, that was just such an emotional day of like, okay, we just had this two month appointment with Carver and he's healthy and he's big for his age. And, um, but the doctor was really impressed by like how strong he was and how advanced he was. But at the same time, I'm receiving a phone call from the company that I had had all these conversations about, about my family. And, and I had put this on national television that I was having a child and that I put on national television that we were having a boy. And I was told over and over again that that storyline was going to mean something to be fired in a pandemic. It was just, it was just sad to me. Um, from this company that prides itself on being this family based company to be fired. Now, I didn't receive a phone call after I had Carver to ask if, if I was okay, if the labor went okay. I didn't receive a phone call um, seeing how my recovery was going with either of my children. But I was received a phone call to be fired in a pandemic. Um, that, I had given a lot of years to WWE and a lot of years to wrestling. And that is not how I thought my relationship with WWE was going to end. I didn't think it was going to end in that, in that like a very uh, cold way, especially after the five and a half years that I had spent in WWE the first time. Um, 
because at, at that time when I was in WWE, I was on television all the time. Um, I had great storylines with everyone <laughs> from Ric Flair to, uh, to Carlito, to uh, Dolph Ziggler, to, to Santino, to, I, I had great storylines uh, with everybody. I was on every tour. I went to every country with WWE that they were going to at the time. Um, I had action figures and I was in the video game and all of that stuff. And um, I was paid one fourth of what I was this last contract. I was on the road 300 days a year with WWE for five and a half years. And I was paid one fourth what I was paid this last time. And in my mind, I thought it was just a, you know, back in the day, this is how things were. And now we're going to be this family friendly women empowerment company. And that's not how I felt when I got that phone call. When I got that phone call, I was a number. Yeah. Well, and it's obvious, it's obvious listening to your, to your voice and uh, clearly even three months later, this is still an emotional time. I appreciate your, your honesty and your openness. Mike, did you have anything you wanted to add? Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, I knew I was going. There was, I was, as soon as we got the, um, the, the text message, well, it wasn't a text message. We got like a, uh, a video sent to everyone through our app where they were like, oh, we're going to have to start letting go some of the talent. I looked at Maria and I was like, oh, that's me. I mean, I had, I had asked for my release three times already. One of them was public, but two wasn't. Um, the only reason I went public was because I, they wouldn't grant it to me and I was fed up. Um, and I was like, all right, fine. I'll just use my tool and power and that's social media. Um, so I knew I was going. But I like to see the best in people. And in my heart, I was saying, they're going to fire me because I asked for my release and they were mad about that. And I understand that. And I, again, I hold myself accountable to that. So if this is the end, and it, even if it's in the middle of a pandemic, I own it. I asked for my release. I put it public. This is it. I didn't get my release in October. Instead, I'm going to get it now. Okay. I own that. But on the same token, I was like, they're not really going to release an entire family though in a pandemic, right? Because my wife has never done anything wrong in that company. She's always been the up, the utmost like company person. She's always done what they asked her to. Um, and then when I was on the phone and they were like, we're going to have to talk to your wife too. I bit my tongue. But what I really wanted to say was you like I don't know if we can cuss on this and I'm sorry but that was my first reaction was how dare you this is vindictive now like this is you know what's going on you know we have two brand new kids you know you just fired me and now you're gonna leave us out to dry and I it 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 just made me feel like again I wasn't mad I was just kind of like this is so cold how how could you especially when you don't have to um and so I wasn't upset for me I was upset for my wife because I was ready to go. I'd been ready to go probably from like the, the first year I was working there. I was like, this sucks. I want to go. This isn't and what that's I thought. Not it what was. I, I felt. I wanted to spend my last years in WWE, in the company that I began in, in the company that gave me an opportunity. Like, I 
loved WWE. I loved working there. Did you love WWE? Huh? Did you love when you were on television? Because you were on television too. Can you get a title for being the youngest person on WWE? Um, but I, I thought that's where I was going to finish out my career. Like, I, I appreciated everything that they'd done for me. And I thought that this was their way of paying me back for years of, of the first time around and not getting paid as much as the guys. Because, I mean, truth be told, Ring of Honor was the first company that paid me equal to a man. Mm -hmm. It was the yeah. first company. They paid me the same as my husband. And I have always appreciated that. Because in WWE, I was paid one-fourth as I was paid this last contract. And I was paid one-tenth of what the guys were paid at WrestleMania. So, like, I, I appreciated Ring of Honor so much for... Uh, okay, have you taken over the interview? He's, he's ready. He wants to. <laughs> he's mad about her getting fired. He's cutting a promo already. <laughs> I was going to go to WrestleMania. Yeah. I was gonna, you know, and I just, I think that that's, it. I honestly thought that's where I was going to leave, leave my career was in WWE. So I think that's why it, it hit me so hard. Because yes, I was pregnant for uh, nine months and again for nine months while I worked there. But I thought I was gonna give them 10 years and right. I had already given them five and a half. So like- I was ready. <laughs> I knew you were. <laughs> I was ready. So yeah, well, if, if I was ready, she wasn't. And it only, it bothers me the most because of what they did to her. Absolutely. Well, you've set us up for another uh, perfect segue into a break because I promise when we come back, we're going to talk about happier times and we're going to talk yeah. about your run in Ring of Honor. So we'll be right back and we'll talk about that after this. Ring of Honor presents the best Dungeons and Dragons on the planet with Joe Hendry as Mega, the singing sensation, Beer City Bruiser as Maynard, Dwarven Cleric of Ale, Session Marth Martina as Thea, Roller Malonis as Ander the Bold Barbarian. And Cheeseburger at Santee. Together, these wrestlers become heroes. Join these stars and more for Role Play of Honor. All right, we are back on the RH Strong podcast. My very special guests today are Mike <laughs> Bennett and Maria Canales Bennett and Carver Bennett. Yes, Carver Bennett's here too. She is. Right. He is cutting the promo of a lifetime right now. <laughs> All right, well, he is more than welcome to join us. Uh, so let's go back, as I said, happier time. This is a Ring of Honor after all. Uh, so Top Prospect Tournament 2011. <laughs> Talk about an all-star field, right? We've got Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Michael Elgin, Jonathan Gresham, oh, and by the way, Mike Bennett, who goes on to beat Adam Cole in the first round, Andy Ridge in the semifinals, and Kyle O'Reilly in the finals to become the first Top Prospect Tournament winner. What are your memories of that time, Mike? Uh, you know, just that was such a fun time in my wrestling career. And, like, it's so funny to think about now because – and I'm sure we all do this, and I'm sure you do this because it's human nature. But we never realize the good times we're in, like, while we're actually in them. And I look back at that time, and not only was it, like – fun to be part of ring of honor but i was 
going on this journey with like guys that are legitimately my friends, like Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. Um, and obviously he wasn't in this, but Tommaso Ciampa, um, and Matt Taven, like all that time at ring of honor, I was with my, my friends and guys that like, I consider like brothers. So I look back on it so fondly. Um, Ring of Honor was so good to me at that time. And it was like Jim Cornette was in charge. And he and I know that Jim Cornette is a touchy subject with a lot of people. Jim Cornette was always really good to me. So I'll, I'll, I'll never say a bad thing. Um, everyone, I will. Every, everyone has their opinions <laughs> on him. Um, he always treated me very kindly. Um, so as far as he treats me, that's fine. I don't agree with a lot of his viewpoints. Um, but he treated me good when I was there. Delirious treated me so good when he took over um, as head booker. And then um, Adam Pierce was on his way out, but Joe Coff treated me so like, there was just a collection of people that I just hold in such high regards because not only did they treat me nice as a wrestler, but they treated me nice as a human. And as I get older in life, that means more to me than anything else in wrestling. Like wrestling is such a small blip on the radar compared to life. And then I look back at these people and how they treated me as a human being means so much more to me. Um, and like at the time, I didn't think the times were that great because the Ring of Honor crowd didn't accept me at all. They hated me. They thought I was a waste of time. They didn't understand why I was getting a push. They didn't understand why Ring of Honor hired me. And at that time, I was like, oh, well, how dare they? And this and that and blah, blah, blah. But as I grew in Ring of Honor, I learned to understand why and it was because i was an outsider and ring of honor was such a niche fan base and such a niche company that they didn't want this outsider coming in and taking over and as i got older i actually kind of respected that when i was younger i was like well they don't know i'm just i'm, I'm too good for them or they don't understand good wrestling or blah right. blah blah um but now as i look back i respect it some of these fan bases that are diehard like new japan like i love it they're just, they're so set in their ways because they like good wrestling. And then having done bad wrestling for three years, I respect the fact that they love good wrestling. Um, and so I look back at that so fondly just because it was such a huge learning experience for me. Let me get, ask you a quick side question here because I know, Maria, you made your Ring of Honor debut at Final Battle 2011. You joined forces with Mike, who at the time was your real life boyfriend. So just a little sidetrack question. How did you guys meet? Because you weren't in the same company at that point. <laughs> uh, it was actually at a Northeast wrestling show um, that we met. It was the first show that I had came back and done after my run in WWE. Um, because after my first run, I said, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> and uh, then about a year later, um, I started doing shows again. And I met him and uh, he was wearing a Ring of Honor hat. And so I was asking him about Ring of Honor and he was eating really old pizza, uh, <laughs> which looked disgusting. I'm sure and, it was from earlier in the day. It oh, wasn't it like looked, two days old. Or it, it was. Looked, ancient and good. then uh as wrestlers do we all went out to eat afterwards um you know with the whole crew and he sat across from me and he was eating his uh cheese sticks with a fork and a knife um and i just uh thought that was idiotic so i asked him who eats with a fork and a knife in my defense sticks. i was like 
I couldn't believe you that. You were trying you, to be fancy? Yeah, so not only, well, first of all, we were both seeing each other at the time. We're seeing other people. Sorry, we were seeing <laughs> other people. We, we both, I had a girlfriend and she had a boyfriend at the time when we first met. But you could always feel there was like a little chemistry there. And I hated my, my girlfriend at the time. She was, <laughs> she was a, not a very nice person. Um, and so, um, but I could feel there was like a little chemistry. And so she sat across from me at the table and I, was, I ordered mozzarella sticks and I was like, I can't eat these with my hands. She's going to think I'm a slob. Right. So I started eating them with a knife and fork. And then, of course, she's like, are you eating cheese sticks with a knife and fork? And I was like, yes. <laughs> well, it's a no-win situation because the, you, you take a bite and you got the stringy cheese then coming out. Exactly. You. you can't impress just, a, a woman that way. No, and not a, a woman of her caliber. I was like, no, no woman that looks like that has ever been interested in me remotely in my entire <laughs> life. So I got to do everything I can. Um, and I, I thought I blew it with the cheese sticks. <laughs> and so... We were both dating other people, so nothing happened. Um, finally, he must have saw that, seen that I had posted about being signal or something. He sent me a direct message on Twitter because we are very um, up-to-date, modern couple. That's right. Um, and so he sent me a direct message on Twitter, and that's when it all began. We, we talked for a month on the phone before we ever saw each other. At our first date, he actually drove nine hours to see me at a signing. Um, he was uh, very. Uh, I drove from Boston to Philadelphia, and seeing as you worked in Stanford, you know that drive's probably only like five hours. Yeah. It took me nine hours because of Friday night traffic. Oh, that's oh brutal. Yeah, but I was I was ready. I was like, she wants a date? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an awesome story. So let's talk more about obviously your Ring of Honor run. You guys eventually formed the kingdom with uh, Adam Cole and Matt Hardy. And of course, later, uh, Mike, your best friend, Matt Taven, joins the group. And throughout 2014, 2015, you guys had an awesome run. You and Taven win the ROH World Tag Team Championship. You go to Japan. You win the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championship. Maria, you also wrestled in a handful of matches. Um, mm -hmm. Got a Nobody wants to see that. Nobody <laughs> wants to see it. I only do it if it's absolutely necessary. Right. And when I do, it's with, like, someone dragging me, kicking, and screaming. Well, I was going to say, one memorable spot wasn't actually a match, but you got package, uh, you got a package pile. Oh, yes. <laughs> Evan Steen. And see, that is why. That is why I don't wrestle, because I always end up in situations like that. A package pile driver, a triple super kick. Uh, <laughs> you know, it just, it doesn't end well for me, ever. Oh, he super, and, and then Mike super kicked me in <laughs> one of the few matches that I had on a pay-per-view for Ring of Honor. Uh, hard too very very hard and and i i don't know if i should i'm gonna say it anyway do it so so i knew he was gonna super kick me but we had what had we done where um you had kind of whiffed it or something same spot on an indie show on an I, indie I show missed you with the super he kick. missed me so we were like all right we're and and we hadn't talked about it we were like okay well and then we'll do the super kick i was, I was like oh i'm not gonna miss you again and then he's like i'm not gonna miss you blah 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 and so me going he's definitely not gonna miss you i stepped into it and he came with an extra heart oh my gosh that was the hardest super kick i've taken in my entire freaking life it was I rocked brutal her. I rocked her. now do you get a hand up do you get a hand up in front of your face or no no, I never have. I, I, I didn't learn that way. I learned 
I, I don't know. I, you protect yourself by turning your head and, tr and like trying to open yourself up, not closing yourself in. And so, yes, that's, um, no, I didn't put a hand up. If you watch that match, I am I do like timber. It was <laughs> like timber. I, the bump I took was real life. It was not a, that was brutal. So Maria, yeah. do you have like a favorite moment from, uh, or any favorite moments from your ROH run? Oh, I, I have so many. Um, but I will have to say that uh, the Briscoes made my second part of my career um, when they let me, uh, they let me stand over them and uh, cut a promo. And at the time, not a, people forget this. At the time, not a lot of women were able to be strong characters against men. Yes, there were strong female characters, but it was always in the context of the divas or just the women or um, it was never standing up to a man. No, you were an anomaly. And, and, yeah. and so to be able to do that, the Briscoes really made my career um, or the second half of my career. That was the moment that I... I, I knew it could work because it was the Briscoe brothers, the toughest, badass men in the industry. No offense, babe. But like these guys, they allowed me to be in that position and they, they made my career. Yeah. And then, and then they, they stood up at our wedding. So <laughs> <laughs> I think they made, they were huge parts of making the kingdom. Some of the matches we had, whether it was me and Matt Hardy against them in, in Nashville and that no DQ match or, my favorite match of all time is me and Taven in the two out of three falls in Atlanta. That match is just like, I get goosebumps still thinking about it mm. because like there was something, and I always say this to Maria, there was something about working with Mark and Jay that I knew they were going to hit me hard and they knew I was going to hit them just as hard and it fired us up. Like you wouldn't believe. And it, I don't, there's some guys in this business that you just get in the ring with and you go, we're just going to beat the crap out of each other. Then we're going to come to the back and we're going to hug it out. Me and Taven and the Briscoes, that's how it was. We were like, we're going to hurt each other and it's going to be awesome. And that, like, I just have such fond memories of the times with them. There's that, and then there's that promo. <clears throat> when I say I built that, Delirious told me, say what I want. And I just remember that promo. I didn't, I didn't really have anything in mind when I started it. But then at the end, when I said, I built this, I really felt that. I really felt the, that moment in wrestling and where the kingdom was and where the Briscoe brothers were and where wrestling as a whole was going um, when it was coming to the, the women's evolution of wrestling, which actually happened probably an impact years before. But well, that's another subject. But like, I, I just, I felt that and that I don't know I, I that was one of my favorite moments as well well whenever it comes from a place of of realness and you said it was real to you at that point then I think that always translates and you've always been very very good uh cutting promos so um well thank you no surprise there I think that that worked so I have to I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Matt Taven um obviously Mike I guess he safe to say he's your best friend um yes. Well, tell me a little bit about that friendship. I'm sure we could probably do a whole podcast about you yeah. and Matt. But just uh, when did you guys first meet? Did you become friends right away? Um, 
And also, do you still have the wrestling school together in Rhode Island? Yeah, so I met Matt, and I had already been in wrestling for, and I'm probably going to screw up the timeline because it, it was a while ago, but I think I had already been in wrestling for like six or seven years by the time I had met Matt when he was just starting out. Um, and he was training over at um, Top Rope Promotions. And I remember the trainer over there, uh, Ryan Drew and Spike Dudley came up to me and they were like, this guy's really good. And I was helping train at that point over at Top Rope Promotions. Um, and I just, we didn't connect right away. I just remember being like, oh yeah, he's good. Um, but this, this kid's full of himself. <laughs> like he's mad, <laughs> you know, he's, he's cocky mad. I was like, he thinks he's better than he is. And then I started to ride with him. And we were just so similar in so many ways that I was like, you're not fully yourself. You just believe in yourself more than anyone else in the world. And I respected that. I was like, I can see why people say that's cocky. But in my head, I was like, no, because I, I, I'm almost the opposite. You are the most humble yeah, and, person and, and you think you suck. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Matt is so So you confident. balanced each other out. You're humiliated. We were yin and yang and we yeah. balanced each other out. And I think that's why we are such good friends is because we do balance each other out. Matt has his, his faults and his strengths. And they and I have my faults and our and my strengths and we both just accept each other mm -hmm. for what it is. You know, it's like a, a perfect union. Mm -hmm. um, and we started traveling together. And then at that time, we were doing a bunch of shows for Northeast Wrestling for uh, Michael Lombardi, and he just kept having me wrestle Matt because he he saw a lot in Matt, and he was like, "Well, Mike, I'll put him with you because you can teach him and get a good match out of him, and he can keep learning." and we just kept having great match after great match. And it was just fun. We had so much fun. And I think Matt appreciated it because he was newer, but I wanted him to put the matches together. Like I, I wasn't, I didn't want to be just like, no, follow me, kid. This is how we do it. I was like, you have great ideas. Like, and you're super athletic and you can do stuff that I can't do. So let's, let's let you put this match together too. And then maybe I'll polish it up a little and then we'll go have a, a banger. And like, I think that's a why banger. a banger. <laughs> And then it's like, and then we just became best friends. And then when he got signed to Ring of Honor, I was so happy for him. And then like when Matt Hardy left Ring of Honor, um, Delirious came up to me and was like, we're thinking about putting, I want to ask you first, but we're thinking about putting Taven with the kingdom. Are you okay with that? And I remember looking at him like, are you, are you kidding me? Am I okay with that? Like, this is my best friend in the whole world. And that's why the kingdom works so well because me and Taven and Cole and Maria were all legitimately best buddies. Like we would have traveled together if, it, if we weren't in the kingdom. Right. Like we were friends, legit friends outside of wrestling. And so like he just fit in perfectly. Um, and then obviously just like he just became my best buddy in the whole world. And like it just. He married us. He married us. He was the <laughs> officiant at our wedding. Like he just. That's I cool. got nothing but good things to say about it. He's, he's, the, he's the best person in the entire world. I love him to death. Let me ask you about Matt as a talent. D knowing how talented he is um, and knowing how driven he is to, to be the best, did you always foresee him one day having the success that he went on to have, becoming the Ring of Honor world champion? And the second part of that question is, did you watch, were you able to watch the match at G1 Supercard when Matt won the title? Did you, and did he tip you off going in like, 
hey, you might want to watch this. Something good's going to happen. Um, so I, I don't, I think he tipped me off, but I don't, I didn't see it live, which I regret. But the reason I didn't see it live is because I was at the Hall of Fame ceremony that night. Um, so I did have an obligation for WWE, which I, I have gone back and watched it. Um, but um, I, I remember just being ecstatic. Like there's very few people um, in this industry that I want to see succeed so much. And he's just like, I want to see everyone succeed, but Matt is someone that like, I, I just, I think he deserves the world. And I, there was never a doubt in my mind that his talent would take him to um, incredible heights. I personally still think he's completely underrated. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves at all from the wrestling world. Um, and I'm not just saying that cause he's my best friend. I'm saying that as a wrestling fan, like his, I think I watched his matches as when he was ring of honor world champ and like they were fantastic. And I just, I, I, I don't understand why he doesn't get the respect and the credit that he, he truly deserves because Tiny. I think he's phenomenal. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And he's not my best friend, although I do like him. <laughs> I think we're friends on some level, but obviously, um, so I have no stake in it, but yeah, just as a fan watching his matches, especially when he was world champion, it's not just his matches, like his promos were yeah. all home runs. And um, yeah, it's like people, fans sometimes I think get an idea in their head of what a guy is and, and he can't get past that level in their minds, even though their eyes are telling them and their ears are telling them something completely different. Although I do think during his title reign, it started to open some people's eyes, I think. I, I agree. And I, I, I thought had he gotten a little bit longer of a title reign, I think people, more people would have turned their heads and been like, oh, wow, this guy. Um, I just, I remember when he won the title, and I'll say this, and I hope he doesn't mind, but I remember when he won the title, um, I texted him and I said, dude, you go kill it now. Like, this is your, the company's on your back and this is what you've wanted. Just take the company to new heights. And I, and I think that was his mindset. Like, it's funny that you bring up his, um, his promos because Matt will tell you too, when he first started, he was a terrible promo. And I think, I think that's a testament to, like you said, of how hard he works, that he actually works so hard at becoming not only a better wrestler, but a better pro. He took a weakness and turned it into a strength, which is incredibly hard to do Absolutely. without mass amounts of hard work. And that's what he did. And like, to me, that's one of the things I'm most impressed about because he used to tell me all the time, I don't want to cut this promo. I suck at promos. Now he's phenomenal. And like, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, there, there are certain guys in this industry that I think the world of, and I think they deserve way more than they have. And he's just one of them. Wow. Yeah. I never knew Matt back in those days. Like, don't, don't ask me to cut a promo. I've, I've only known him in the, Hey, give me the stick. I'll knock this out in one. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, he's totally different now. And that's just his, that's just a testament to the, the work he's put in. Well, on the flip side of Matt Taven, I got to ask you about this guy, uh, Vincent. Obviously, you <laughs> knew him as Vinny Marcellia. Definitely not the same guy you knew. Um, and I'm sure you're aware he jumped Matt Taven in Taven's home during a Facebook Q&A last, uh, live Q&A last month. Uh, Taven's gone radio silent ever since. So, I mean, what do you make of this Vincent guy? Uh, you know... I don't, I don't know. He's, 
he's not the same Vinnie Marcellia, Vincent, sorry, I, I, I can't call him by that name. He's not the same guy that I knew when he first started. When he first started, he was very... See, I think he is the same guy. I think he's just masking it. Yeah. I think he's still the insecure, oh, I'm everybody's buddy. But he's masking it now with this violence. And that, and that to me, is even sadder. Yeah. You have to enter someone's home because you're so insecure about yourself, because you're so desperate to be uh, appreciated. Yeah, I don't, I like, like Maria said, he, he was like a, a very like humble, uh, shy kid when I first met him. He wasn't a kid, he was an adult, but like, I don't know, he was, he's always been a good buddy of mine and maybe we haven't talked as much recently, but like, I, I don't know, it's, it's weird. He's, he's not, maybe Maria thinks he's masking it, but it was, it's just not something I ever saw. Like, I knew he liked horror movies. I didn't think he'd ever be a hor horrible person. Like, I just, I don't know. It, 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 it's just, it, it's, it hasn't sit well with me to, and, and like, I try not to think about it because I have children I got to focus on and take care of. But like, you know, I don't like when he tweets me. I'm like, dude, leave me alone. Right. Like, I don't, like, I don't, I like, just leave Matt alone and leave me alone. I got kids. Stop. Like I said, I don't know what to make of it. I just, it, maybe it's just this, his insecurities coming out, but. Um, and jealousy. Yeah. He, he, someone needs to punch him in the mouth. Mix, mixed the jealousy, the insecurity mixed with a, um, what's the word I want to use here? Uh, his love of horror films, I think is, has gone a little bit too far. It's almost like sickening and disgusting. And yeah, it's, I mean, we all like something. I like action movies. That doesn't mean I'm going to go blow up a helicopter. Or jump out of a building. <laughs> or jump out of a building. Yeah, I think Vincent needs to take a chill. All right, well, this is the last question I'm going to ask before we get to our uh, very popular 10-question segment. This will be the last one. And this is the one yes. we've been building up to for this entire podcast, which is, what does the future hold? <laughs> oh. Oh, you know, um, so... I'll give my opinion in a second. Okay, so I will be brutally honest. And I honestly, I hadn't um, discussed this with anyone but my wife. But there's been a period of time over the last three months where I have contemplated, um, contemplated not wrestling anymore um, and just doing something different. And I don't know if that's a mix of emotions of um, the pandemic and mixed with WWE sucking the ever-living life out of me and making me absolutely uh, hate professional wrestling. Um, but there was a good two-month stretch where I had made up my mind pretty much to not want to wrestle anymore. Um, fortunately, I don't feel that way anymore. Um, and I don't I, – I genuinely um, – I don't know what the future holds. I, I don't. I am more motivated and driven right now than I've ever been before. Um, I want to go and have uh, the matches that I know I'm capable of. I want to go and tear it down. I want to go to and, and just – I just want to be a professional wrestler. I spent the last three years as a sports entertainer, and I thought I would like it, and I absolutely hated it. And now – I've realized that my love is just being a pro wrestler, like a straight up 
professional wrestler. Ring of Honor allowed me to be a professional wrestler. New Japan allowed me to be a professional wrestler. I miss that. I miss that feeling. I miss that feeling of being in the ring and the crowd chanting, this is awesome. I miss the feeling of walking to the back and having people clap for you. I miss the feeling of killing it in the ring and then going back to the hotel and just feeling like you did something, like you accomplished something, like you entertained an entire group of people and they're still talking about you. I haven't felt that in a long, long time. Um, and I want that feeling back. That's my love. Like wrestling, just being a pro wrestler is my love. I like going in there. I like getting beat up. I like beating people up. And it's, that's the fun for me. And that's, wherever that is, that's what I want to do. Wherever I can do that. Wherever I can feel that passion again. Um, and like I said, the last time I felt it was Ring of Honor or New Japan. Um, and that's what I want to do. I, I, I just, I want, I want that feeling back. And I miss it. So, no, I'm not retiring. Um, I did contemplate it for two months, but I'm not retiring. Absolutely not. I got too much I want to do. Um, but like I said, I'd be lying if I told you, like, after getting fired, dealing with the pandemic, not knowing when wrestling's ever going to come back, I sat there and I was like, well, well, well crap, what do I do now? You know? Um, but uh, this past month, I've just been so fired up about wrestling and I want to get back to it. I want to be a pro wrestler again. Well, as a wrestling fan and uh, as certainly someone who's been a fan of your work and Maria's work, that's, that's good news. I think um, Maria, did you have thoughts on that as well? Oh no, he left it on such a good note. I'm not <laughs> sure if I should speak. Uh, for me, the wrestling industry has changed so much since I first started it as a diva. Um, and it's been incredible to see things change for women in wrestling. But I, I still feel like there's a lot more work to do. And not as a wrestler, but as a person, as a businesswoman, as a person that approaches wrestling very different than other people. Um, I'm excited to see what the future holds. It was exciting to see the first female match to main event WrestleMania. It was... Uh, it's been incredible to see how many women have um, become mothers and have, you know, either worked afterwards or made appearances after. Um, and I think that that's the direction that we need to go in, in a real family oriented way. People are able to work longer. It used to be that the old men in wrestling were in their late 30s. Well, now I'm 38 and I still want to work. Um, so, so I think that there's, there's work to be done in that, that avenue. Maybe not so much on the performance side, but on, um, on the business side of wrestling, uh, which can always spill over into storyline. But um, I still have work to do in this industry. Um, I still want to fight for, um, for women in wrestling, um, especially now as a mother, um, because I don't, I don't want there to be some arbitrary, oh, you must complete your career at this point because you've had X amount of children and um, because you're married now and you're no longer sexy. You know, I, I just don't, I don't want that to be my narrative. 
And I don't think it should be any woman's narrative. Um, I think that family should be a part of wrestling, just like I was a part of wrestling as a 22 year old that uh, came out of the middle of nowhere and was a bikini model. Um, I think that there's an opportunity, especially after this pandemic, to grow in wrestling in that way. Yeah, very well said. Uh, let me add that obviously Ring of Honor right now is not running shows. We've uh, haven't run a show since the end of February because of the pandemic, but obviously at some point Ring of Honor will be back up and running. And uh, I don't know how closely you guys have paid attention, but there's a really, really talented roster uh, of performers in Ring of Honor, both male and female, and uh, boy, there'd be a lot of interesting matchups if uh, that were to ever work out where you guys maybe would once again step into a Ring of Honor ring. That's, I'm just saying. <laughs> Put that out there. Put that I out would there. love to. I would absolutely love to. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I would love to. I know the <laughs> roster. I know how good it is. I've worked for the company before. Um, and, yeah, I, like I said, I'm not sugarcoating anything. I'm not pretending I'm going one place and this and that. I love Ring of Honor. I would love to end up there. I, I think for me, I see a tremendous opportunity with Ring of Honor. Um, again, not just with the incredibly talented group of individuals that are working there right now, but also in the opportunity to do shows different. Um, because they haven't done a show in a very long time, I think that there's an opportunity to be incredibly creative and create something that is different, but still, with the great wrestling that the Ring of Honor fans have keen to watch and love over the years. Absolutely. All right, well, we're gonna take our final break. Thank you guys both so much. You've been so generous with your time. We're gonna take our final break and then we'll play 10 questions, Mike and Maria, right after this. I'm Quinn McKay, your host of Ring of Honor Wrestling, and the new year brings tons of opportunities, including your opportunity to represent your favorite Ring of Honor star by wearing their merchandise, including me for some reason. So log on to ROHProShop.com now to get yours. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guests are Mike Bennett and Maria Canales. It is time now to play 10 questions. Are you guys ready? Yes. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. All right, we're gonna, usually we just have one guest, but since we have two, I'll split this up. Five questions for one, five questions for the other. Ladies first, we'll start with you, Maria. Question number one, what's something popular that you don't see the appeal of? Cool. Um, I'm gonna say it, but then it's just gonna. Do it, what is it? <laughs> I don't get TikTok. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't really get it either, to be honest. Yeah, I don't get it either, so that doesn't shock me. I can't get into it. Yeah, I, I it. want to, but I can't get into it. You know what I do get into when um, older people try and get into it. Oh, I find great. that hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> older people, not not like us. You mean people older than? Oh, I'm me. young. I'm still super yeah. young. Well, actually, yeah, I'm I'm way older than both of you, but we'll. we'll go. <laughs> You're still young too, so. We'll go right to question number two. Mike, what's a subject you'd like to know more about? Oh, God. Um, you know, I'm big into American history. Um, 
I want to study out more about the U.S. Constitution because I feel like as a country right now, a lot of us don't know the U.S. Constitution. Um, and I, I'm such a history buff that I would love to be like an expert on the U.S. Constitution. Yes, I think brushing up on the U.S. Constitution would be good for maybe even some people in power, but we won't go down that. Oh, yes. That's, uh, I could do a whole podcast on that, too. Yeah, yes. we don't want to. If we get political, that's it. That's yeah, the end of everything. Well, it's funny you should say I got a question coming up for you later. But anyway, question, okay. <laughs> question number three, Maria. Do you have any hidden talents? Hidden talents? Yeah, something you're good at that we don't, we've never seen. And so, oh, gee, many Christmas. I've been answering this question now for how many years? 16 years? Um, I've been, no, uh, 12, no. How many years have I been in the entertainment world? A long time. They always ask this question. Hidden talent. Um, I actually am a pretty good cook. She's okay. a fantastic cook. And I think, yeah, that's yeah. something I, I never talk about. No. I, I don't really use a recipe either. No, um, she's a really good cook. I can't. What's your specialty? Um, gosh, I don't know. I, I make a really good chili and a really good stew. Mm. Yeah. Now mild on the chili or or spicy? I like it spicy, but he likes it mild. So I do a little bit of both. So I'll usually make two pots. Um, so we, we do a Christmas dinner at our house. Um, and I usually make, um, chili or for, um, Halloween. So when the kids come back from, uh, trick or treat and treating, there's usually chili waiting. So I'll do two pots, a mild and I'll do a hot. Well, that is awesome. But I like it chunky, not the, I don't like the thin chili. My mom likes the thin chili. I don't like that. <laughs> All right. Question number four, Mike. Do you have a guilty pleasure? A guilty pleasure. Something that you like that maybe you don't want to admit to it. I don't Do I? I love following politics. I'm a big, my parents were, were, like raised me to follow, like I'm a big political junkie. Okay. I don't know if that's a guilty pleasure, but I, like I'm obsessed with politics. And I don't talk about it a lot just because it's so, um, divisive but uh i've been following politics since i was like 12 years old i love it all right yeah i don't think you have to necessarily feel guilty about that but i'll i'll, I'll accept that as an answer yeah, yeah i know right but i feel like nowadays you might have to it's weird all right uh question number five maria what's something on your bucket list oh bucket list um so i'm just reapplied to get my master's degree um, but I would like to have my doctorate, uh, probably in business administration. Um, so that's on my bucket list. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, Mike, question number six. If you could have a conversation with any person, living or dead, who would it be? Oh, um, you know what? Lately, I want to talk to Alexander Hamilton. I think he would be fascinating to talk to, especially with what's going on in our current, our current climate. I would love to see what he thinks of everything. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good answer. Especially because I'm obsessed with the musical too. So. Yep. Okay. Question number seven, Maria, this is for you. Uh, As I said, we don't really get political on the ROH strong podcast. So this is not a political question. This is a reality TV question. Okay. Yes. Any good Donald Trump stories from being on The Apprentice? 
God. Um, that man needed his hair perfect all the time. <laughs> One, which perfect means looks like it's, um, uh, what's it called? When you, you go and it's on the stick, the, oh, cotton candy. Yeah. His hair looks like cotton candy. In real life, it looks like cotton candy. That man had more hair checks during the boardroom scene than anybody else on uh, at the boardroom. Wow. It was insane. Looked, and it still looked terrible. It still looks bad. I don't know who's doing his hair. No, it was terrible. <laughs> so bad. How, like, so, how yeah, do you... Check my hair. Is it still terrible? Good. <laughs> <laughs> and we would have to stop down and we'd be fixing the hair and then we'd be fixing his makeup. and like. Dude, I don't know, but that it's just... He couldn't have a worse comb-over. Like, comb-over it better? I don't... Yeah, well, you know, I, it, oh, I can't say that. Okay, Never mind. Nice. Nope, that's it. I'm done. That <laughs> All right. I can talk about a man's hair. Okay. All right. Well, question number eight. Since I just asked Maria about a TV show, I'll ask you one. And since you're a dad, who is your favorite TV dad of all time, Mike? <laughs> oh, TV dad? Uh, yeah. Phil Dunphy from Modern Family. Okay. He's hands down my favorite. Um, I w <laughs> Growing up, it was Bill Cosby, but I don't think I can say that. Um, well, yeah. I also loved Uncle Phil, but he, you know, I loved Fresh Prince growing up. Okay. So uh, I'll go with Uncle Phil over Bill Cosby. All right. <laughs> I thought maybe you might go Mike Brady or Howard Cunningham, but again, maybe that's me because I'm a little bit older. <laughs> uh, question nine, Maria, this is the last question for you. Is, uh, what's the best advice you've been given about the wrestling business and who gave it to you? Uh, Trish Stratus. Um, I asked her one time what it was like to wear that mask for so long. Um, and she said to me, it's not about what you, what they give you, but it's about what you do with it. So no matter how crappy the storyline is, um, you have to find a way to make it work. And thank God I was given that advice so many years ago because for the rest of my career, I am sure that I will be signing a 24-7 championship <laughs> title as the pregnant champ. And I was the first. And so even though the storyline did not work out the way that I wanted to, me chanting the pregnant champ, the pregnant champ, I am the pregnant champ, will forever um, be in the history of wrestling. Yes, that will live on in wrestling. wrestling world. <laughs> <laughs> I, I talk about this with Mike all the time. It isn't about an entire storyline. It is about one moment. Yep. Did you make one moment? 100%. All right, question 10. And Mike, I'm going to ask you that same exact question. It's our final one. What's the best advice you've been given about the wrestling business and who gave it to you? Um, you know, believe it or not, it was from um, my trainer, Bob Evans. And Brutal Bob. Brutal Bob. Um, and I think he remembers this, but we had a match one time for his uh, independent promotion, EPW. And I was leaving because I was moving to Louisville, Kentucky to move to OVW to try to get that dream and grab that brass ring for WWE. And um, after the match, I, he pinned me and he rolled over. He gave me a kiss on my forehead and he said, your talent will only take you so far, but it's who you are as a person that will take you the rest of the way. And that always stuck with me. And that's how I tried to live my life and my career. Well, that is excellent, excellent advice. 
Well, that's the end of 10 questions. That's the end of, of this podcast. Uh, again, thank you guys for being so generous with your time and uh, allowing Carver to make his, I guess, his podcast. <laughs> he is still he, going. He's still cutting the I can hear him a little bit in the background. talking in his bouncer. He is talking <laughs> up a storm. Well, is there anything as we wrap up uh, that you want to plug? Uh, where can we find you on social media, et cetera, et cetera? Sure. You can catch our podcast, which we will be bringing back. Um, we took a, uh, a break from it strictly because there was a lot of things that were happening all at once. Mm. Um, my mom broke both her wrists. My, my grandfather passed away. There's just a lot of things happening all at the same time. Um, but our podcast is on iTunes and it's also on fan off and that is non-essential wrestlers podcast. Um, you can catch me on Twitter at Maria L. Canellis or on Instagram, which is Maria Canellis. Yeah, just follow me at Real Mike Bennett on Twitter and at the Real Michael Bennett on uh, Instagram. And hopefully soon we'll be able to, I'll figure out where I'm headed in this wrestling world and I'll be able to tell everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, but stay tuned. <clears throat> ROH. <clears throat> ROH. <clears throat> <laughs> Sorry, I had to clear my throat. Hey, do you, do you know anyone there? Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I know some people. Okay, good. Okay, yeah. Uh, I have no stroke, now. but I know some people. Um, you and me both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, well, again, thanks so much, guys. Uh, like I said, really appreciate it. Can't wait to see you guys back in action somewhere, wherever that may be. Um, and thanks to all of you out there for listening. Keep it locked on to ROHwrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram. And it's on, on Facebook. It's Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor. For news of when and where future episodes of the ROH Strong podcast will be available. Stay safe, everyone. Let's all be ROH Strong. Right.